But if you'd like to, you can uh, take out your bulletin and follow along. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4 and uh, just uh, dive into that text a little bit, but a uh, little bit talking about what, what the import of that narrative is of Jesus uh, dealing with the devil. And what we see during this season, this season of Lent, is a time where we focus on what Jesus has done for us. And the color is what the theme is, purple. And by that I mean uh, we're going to look at the royalty. The royalty of King Jesus. He's the king of all. And purple was an ancient fat or dye that was very, very super expensive to make. I don't know if you know this. It was only be able to be made because of the shell of a small snail. And it had to be harvested by hand and uh, ca- uh, cap- uh, collected and then used to make a, a purple dye. And clothing was dyed purple. And only few people could afford it because it was so expensive. Kings. And so it was a color of royalty. It was also a color to convey a mood of somberness, of thinking about our sins and about where are we personally before our God. And what do our actions say about our love for God? And it's a reminder that all of us are called to repent, to turn away from sins, some that we love, some that we stumble into, some that we can't even foresee and it just happened to us and we end up doing them. Sins of thought, sins of word, sins of deed. And so it's also a a color of repentance and that's a good thing for us to uh, look at as well. Those those sins of royalty and of repentance. And we, we think of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so we go to the cross. And it may seem a little strange on this Sunday when we're focusing on, on the uh, cross that we start right at the beginning of Jesus' temptation and the very beginning of the Gospels. But the two are very closely aligned. What happens on a barren, cross, a barren hill outside Jerusalem where Jesus died? And what happens on a barren wilderness that we read about this morning are very connected. Because Satan is tempting Jesus to forego the cross, to forget about a sacrificial death, to, uh, to bypass all of that, or to take a shortcut, which would only lead to a dead end. And here in the temptation narratives, we read, it's really not a manual on how to deal with temptation, although we do learn some things about the temptations that come our way. That's really not the point of what this text is in here for. It's really here to say, where you and I fail, Jesus succeeded. Jesus, the Messiah, redoes all of history for us. And history is being redone in the Messiah. The Old Testament tells of the original sin, Adam and Eve, disobeying God, eating the fruit. God told them, of all the things you can do, you got everything you can do, one thing. Don't eat from that tree in the middle. And they were tempted to do it. That one thing. And the children of Israel who would follow them wandered in the wilderness for many, for 40 years. And if you read that part of the Bible, every temptation they faced, they failed miserably. 
They would give in to their own uh, passions and their own lusts and their own desires. But Christ, as the faithful son of God, the one who is the child of Adam and the fulfillment of the children of Israel, succeeded where everybody else fails. And this is the good news for you and for me. The temptation of Christ really is good news for us because the old reality of sin is dealt with. And you can have that confidence in your life. That sin is dealt with. It's overcome in Jesus Christ. The debt is paid. We sing it all the time. Christ is risen from the dead. And so we do have choices. We can't predict the outcomes. We don't know what tomorrow's gonna be, but we have choices to make in our lives. And we'll be tempted into the wrong. And we will fail. But the obedience of the one, as Paul said, atones for all the the sin and the guilt of, of the rest of the world. And today, let that thought fill your heart and fill your mind and instruct your struggle with sin because you got it too, just as I do. We're tempted and we struggle. And on our own abilities and on our own strengths, we're not gonna make it. But we live in the power of the cross. That doesn't mean we don't sin. It means we're forgiven of our sins. And that we live in wisdom in the days to come. Jesus satisfies our soul and strengthens our soul. In Matthew chapter four, we read of these temptations and Mark talks about it. Luke tells a story, a little different order, but still the same story. And uh, in the very first one, we, recount, we see Jesus in bread. He was hungry, right? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. And so at that point of need, uh, the suggestion of the devil to turn the stones into bread fills not just a, a bigger need, but uh, fills his tummy, right? It would be good. And as a person who likes bread, I like baking bread. I should say I like eating good bread, right? I find this an interesting point of comparison because just like the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus says, when this says bread, it's not just talking about flour and yeast and water. It's talking about everything we need for life. And the question is, will God provide that for you? Or do you gotta make your own self? And do you have to make your own salvation? Do you have to bring your own fulfillment? because God's gonna hold back on you. You can't trust him to take good care of you. You gotta do it yourself. And suddenly this is not just a kind of an interesting little story, but there's much more. There's this dimension of life that says, it's not that Jesus doesn't say you don't need bread. He says you do need bread. But man does not live by bread alone. And fulfillment and salvation are another part of your life that needs to be nourished. There's more to life than just this living and making our tummies full and making ourselves happy. And in each situation that the devil confronts Jesus, God responds, or Jesus responds with God's word. And what's fascinating is not just the Bible verses and not that he just has some Bible verse that he whips out kind of like a a 22 and (laughs) shoots back. But he's drawing from the wilderness wanderings of Israel. And he's drawing from a time in Israel's past where they were tempted 
Remember, I mentioned that before. And they failed every time. They grumbled against God. They complained against God. They flat out rebelled against God in the wilderness. And from those, that experience, that time, Jesus pulls these Bible verses out to remind everybody that where our forefathers and where we fail, he succeeds. And Jesus does just the opposite. I know you need the kind of life that Jesus wants for you. And I know you're tempted to live just for this life, for earthly life, to have you worry about bread. You worry about the things you have for this life. Maybe worry might be a stronger word than you use, but Christ reminds you, you don't live by bread alone. That's not all a life. There's much more. There's eternal life. There's salvation. That is God-given and God-provided, which Jesus Christ came to give for you and me. But God's word isn't the only word around, is it? There's another word. There's a word of the fallen and sinful world, and it's just, it's in our world. It's in our, it's kind of like in our water. We can't get away from it. And that world tries to snuff out the new life effected to us in God's word. And the question that all of this begs of asking, whose word are you gonna take for life? For your life on this earth and the eternal life, whose word will you take? Will you take God's word? Or will you take this world's word? And this world has a spokesman and this personal being of evil called the devil. That word, that title means deceiver. Satan is his name. That means he's our accuser. But he speaks to us as well. And that's where temptation hits us. And that's where the struggle is. That's where your struggle is. That's where my struggle is. And so let's look at what we read in Matthew chapter four. And the first temptation is really about Jesus' identity, isn't it? Because we, we read last Sunday, the word of the father about the transfigured son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Remember, that's an echo of Jesus' baptism. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. I'm pleased in him. And that's exactly what precedes Matthew chapter four, Jesus' baptism in Matthew, we would call it Matthew chapter three. And listen to the first thing the devil says. He says, if you're the son of God, dot, 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 dot. And he says, how will you receive God's word? And the devil says, doubt it. You don't really think God has good for you, do you? You don't really think You can bank on what he has to say. You better look another way. If you're the son of God, turn these loaves into bread. And he says, doubt it. And it's the same playbook that Satan used with Adam and Eve, remember? Did God really say, Eve? Did God really say that? And he's planting that seed of doubt and Eve did what she should have never done and got in conversation with the devil. That's not a good thing, <laughs> all right? Write that down in your sermon notes, right? But it ended up with her doubts overtaking her. 
What are your doubts? I find it interesting that these temptations, they're not temptations to do something super bad. They're not, the devil didn't tempt Jesus to become a drug runner, did he? Or an international child molester, or a serial adulterer, or a killer. No, he just said, can you really fear God? Do you really love God? Do you really trust God? It's first commandment stuff. Who's our idol? And the devil says, do you doubt? And where do I doubt? Where do you doubt? I don't think many in this room would doubt the existence of God. I don't think you would come to church if you didn't think there was a truly a God. I know there's people who ascribe to that. And probably not many of you doubt whether God really acts for people, but there's people who wonder about that. But our doubts come in the daily decisions that we got to make. Which direction do I go? What decision do I make? And what, what decision will I dwell on? And what decision will I dream about? And what decision will I do or not do because of that decision? Most of us play, have played a little game in our life of self-delusion called, I'll never do that again. And we think about ourselves and we'll say, I'll never do that again. Especially if we got caught. Something that's really disgusting. And so we think that a criminal that comes out of prison will never do that again. But statistics tell us a lot different. Oftentimes criminals go back to that behavior we know the drill. We say it a thousand times in a 10,000 different ways. I won't smoke again. I won't gossip about that person again. I won't cut that person down behind their back. I won't uh, do that. I won't say that. I won't see that until we do again. I won't overwork and put aside my role as mom or dad. That won't ever happen again until it does, right? And we know what it is, and we know how it, how it works. Until we do it again, and much of the time anyway. Now, thanks be to God, sometimes we learn. Sometimes we have that hot stove event that's so painful that we never touch it again. But the lure to sin sticks with us like glue. How's your struggle with sin? You see, the temptation is to kind of say, well, my sins are okay, right? Somehow my sins are actually good. We deceive ourselves into that kind of thought. Or we minimize, my sins aren't all that bad. The wages of sin is death. God's word is very clear for all of us. And living and trust in God can become a hidden deliberation. Satan suggests to Jesus that the way to fulfillment is through his pleasing ways, his stomach-pleasing ways. Do what pleases you, even if it's contrary to God. And Jesus says, remember, that bread, there's more to it than yeast and flour. Man does not live by bread alone, but by the very word of God. And what is his word to you? 
in the bread that we share? He says, this is my body, given for you for the forgiveness of sins. That's my word. For even the person who says, I'll never do that again, and doggone it, I did it again. And he says, let's deal with repentance. Let's live by contrition over that sin and trust in the Savior. Trust his word that he gives to you. And as one uh, person uh, gave advice to a person who had fallen into an addictive trap, he said, replays happen. That's part of it. But it's more important to set up boundaries and to set those boundaries straight and set them square, to live in trust. And Jesus is a son of God who never used his godliness to benefit himself, but he benefited other people. And he wouldn't turn stones into bread, and he would trust his father to sustain him. And you can too, in your struggle with sin. You can trust your father to sustain you. And he's good news for you, even when you do it again, and that selfish thing you said you'd never do again. And he calls you to trust him. And maybe it's time to build a better boundary in your life. Not minimize, not glorify a sinful behavior, but to just say, I gotta protect myself. And that's the tricky part of sin. is an allure to you might not be an allure to me. But Christ says you make your decisions. What bread are you seeking? Trust God. Do you need to hear that? Yes, you do. I do too. There's a second temptation. Not how will you receive God's word, but how will you use God's word? And the devil says, well, let's just twist that word of God a little bit. And Jesus just simply says, do it. Follow it. You see the devil uh, now, and you read the story, and he's up on the precipice of the temple. We don't know exactly what that is, but from a high point. And he says, well, Jesus, throw yourself down. The Bible. After all, the Bible says God will take care of you. He'll protect you. Right? And he quotes Psalm 91. This is interesting, and you really should do it when you get home. He quotes 91. And if you were going to quote a psalm uh, that you wouldn't want the devil to look at, it would be Psalm 91, because that psalm tells that God's Messiah would stomp on the head of the serpent. In fact, the verse that the devil leaves out is, you will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion, and the serpent you will trample underfoot. It's all about God giving victory over Satan. And so sometimes the devil is not the smartest, sharpest knife in the drawer, but this is what he uses, and he twists God's word. And Jesus says, take God's word and use it rightly. Use it properly. Understand it for what it says. And Jesus says, uh, quotes from the time the children of Israel complained and criticized God. And they said, he's not with us. We're starving out here. God's not with us. How are we gonna, why would we listen to him? And the temptation is for you and I to think in our lives, that God doesn't matter. God doesn't have anything to do with my life. God doesn't care what I do. 
And the whole message of the Bible and the life of Jesus is God sees you and God knows you, not to harm you, but to love you. And he cares for you and he'll provide for you because he's with you and he's for you and you can trust his word. And that's why the writer to the Hebrews writes this, for the word of God, and he's talking about what we call the Old Testament, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. It has a law. It tells us what we're supposed to do. But it also has a word of gospel. It tells us what God's done for us in Jesus Christ. And God says, use that word for your own heart. Yes, to hear what God would want for you. And he'll bless it. He really will. He'll bless you. And he says, These, the Ten Commandments are this summary of my heart and my will. And life as my, as my child will just go right. When you live by faith, not in a robotic obedience, I got to do this, but just to say, I want to love God. I want to do what he wants me to do. And it'll shape my decisions and it'll, it'll shape what I want to do. And some people will say there is no word from God. But in the sea of subjectivity, when everybody says, well, you got to do your, what your own want to do, God says, no, this is the truth. This is something you can be sure of. This is a foundation on which to build your life. And you know it's true. If you live with integrity, people will trust you. If you're a liar, people won't trust you. If you're a person who loves, as God says in the Ten Commandments, you'll win admiration. People will notice that. If you cut corners, you use people, it'll be known. You see, we know that intellectually just from, from life, but God tells us his word does bring blessing. And I'm not saying it's gonna make you happy, healthy, or wise. It simply says it's gonna be blessed. Jesus said, everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against on that house, but it did not fall because it was founded on the rock. And the third temptation is how will you live God's word? How will you live God's word? Satan says disobey it. Just disobey it. And Jesus says do it. And he, what's fascinating in that third temptation, he offers what Jesus already has. He said, Jesus, if you do what I want, you fall down and worship me, I'll give you riches, power, privilege, prestige. Jesus already had all of that as the son of God, didn't he? It's the same thing he said to Adam and Eve. He said, you'll know God. They were already like God. They were made in the image of God. But see, somehow Satan causes us to think God's holding out on us. God's, got, God's harming us. God's not giving us everything we want. Christ says he'll bless you beyond measure. Follow him. Heed his voice. Whose word are you going to take? In Jesus, we see the bitter fruit of disobedience against God is redone. And we see that he's our king. 
He's the victor. And where we fail, Jesus succeeds. And he has won victory over the forces of evil and the temptation of Jesus is good news for you and for me. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses human understanding, keep your heart and your mind through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.